You are listening to NASA in Silicon Valley, episode 30. In the spirit of Silicon Valley, NASA Ames is rethinking space with smaller, cheaper, and faster missions using off-the-shelf technology. We discuss various small satellite projects with today's guest, NASA engineer, Ali Guarneros Luna. Ali has a fascinating personal story of how she worked her way through school and into NASA. We also discuss her early work on developing safety systems for small satellites and her current work testing exobrake technology to better control small satellites while in orbit. So here is our conversation with Ali Guarneros Luna. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. So more so like what brought you to NASA and <laughs> or how did you end up in Silicon Valley? I was born in Mexico. My mother was uh, born there, but her mother was an American from Houston, Texas. So when she was uh, in Mexico and I was growing up, uh, my father actually left the house and mm-hmm. um, she was a single mother with four children. Oh, wow. And we had the earthquake in Mexico in 1986 okay. so she found herself by herself with four children right and i was wow. i was the oldest one so my mother having the already the opportunity to have leave here you know she thought that coming to the united states will be the best mm-hmm. uh, opportunity to raise her children as a single mother right yeah. and she was also an educated person so she only uh was able to finish sixth grade Oh, wow. So she had no education. So having been in Mexico with four children, having, you know, experienced that earthquake, that it was uh, devastating. You know, a lot of people died. You know, a lot of my classmates died. For me, just in my experience, it changed completely the scope of, you know, what life was at that time. I was only... I was about 12 years old, I want to say. Okay. I don't know. (laughs) had to go back and count. Nobody needs to do the math. (laughs) Yes, and... um, it so definitely gave me a different perspective of what life meant at that oh, wow. that young age. And so we came to the United States and I was the oldest one. My mother, you know, find jobs here and there. And I grew up, we went to San- Los Angeles for uh-huh. six months and then we moved to Milpitas and then to San Jose. We just stayed in San Jose because my mother was able to find a stable job, you know, and I was yeah. able to go to school and everything. Mm-hmm. So being a you know student you know and my mother being the one that it was provider provider right i didn't have really i didn't understand what was going on and so when i graduated and i want to go to university you know there was all these things that they require you to have like yes and i was like i don't know if i you know am i gonna pursue an education i have no idea so i started going to san jose city college and in my mind i never thought about where I was going to go, what career I was going to, you know, take, you know, what education do I want. It was just about the opportunity that presented in front of me. So, mm-hmm. you know, I went into college and I decided I wanted to get a degree and then transfer maybe to the university. So I was there for about two years and then I dropped out, you know, I started work. I had four kids, you know, and then when my youngest one was about two years old, I decided to go back, go and pursue my degree. So I went back to school, and then I ended up going to college, and then transferred to university, to San Jose State. Okay. Got my bachelor's degree in aerospace, and it was just an opportunity because when I transferred from San Jose State College to San Jose State, obviously I didn't know what the career I was going to take. Mm-hmm. You know, it was not in my plan. I just wanted to have a diploma, yeah. right? So, you know, when I transferred to San Jose State, the, you know, they said, you know, there's 
aerospace engineering, and I, and I thought, oh, well, I should pursue that, you know? So going into college, like, did you always want to do something with aerospace or even NASA? Did you think about that as a kid growing yeah. up that was always in your head, or it was just like, I need to get a degree, <laughs> so you just picked aerospace? <laughs> no, actually, when I was uh, in Mexico growing up, after school, I would come home and read Mm-hmm. Um, encyclopedias. My really? mother loved encyclopedias. <laughs> so she will buy, you know, the guys, the guy will come to the house and, you know, and he will know that my mother will buy any encyclopedia the guy had. So my mother had so many. And so after school, I will come and, you know, look at encyclopedias and read about different things, learn, mm-hmm. you know? And one of the things that I think impacted me and, you know, it kind of stayed with me was about the shuttle and the people who were building it, the sign and all this stuff. So I yeah. read about it and, Aerospace engineers were the ones who were building, and I yeah. fell in love with it. And I was like, I want to be in aerospace. So I, when I was seven, six years old, you know, I told my family, like, I wanted to be an aerospace engineer without thinking what, what it was. That was. Yeah. So I always knew that that's the career that I want to pursue. I love it because, like, most people see, like, oh, I want to be an astronaut. I want to go to space. And you're like, no, I want to build the machine <laughs> that takes them to space. <laughs> it's a whole different aspect. Totally. So when I transferred from college to South State, one of the careers that was possible for me to go into was engineering in aerospace. I was like, I'm doing it, you know, I'm, uh, I'm going for did that. Did you always have like a passion for like STEM stuff of like math and? My bringing was different, I want to say from most girls, because mm-hmm. I was never told that I had to feed certain things. Roles, roles or, yeah, this or is really, your job, this is what yeah. girls do. Yeah. Yes. You so, never had that. Yeah. No, I never, and, and I guess it was because I was the oldest one of four. Okay, so you kind of had to step two, up. Yeah, and the two youngest ones were boys, right? So, and I was always, I was a hyperactive child. So <laughs> I always was the one that it was getting my brothers in, into trouble or, you know, start the, whatever we were doing. I was the one, the leader and the follower, right? So I never had that actually being, a, you know, a situation where I felt that I was not good enough in math, science, because I was doing You had it. to be the boss. <laughs> you were already a project manager at 12. Yes, probably, <laughs> yes. And so, and my brothers, you know, were my, my followers and my neighbors. So it just happens that in that environment, you know, even though I was the only or maybe only two girl, you know, within a bunch of uh, young kids, mostly boys I was doing you know what I wanted to to do and it was very exciting so I never really had that so what me going to aerospace engineering I think it was easy thing you know I just kind of moved on over yeah it was just like yeah this is exactly what I want to do because sometimes you figure especially if you come over to this country you you suffer something traumatic like an earthquake Mm -hmm. and you know you're the oldest you have younger siblings so often it's easy to get pulled into the man i just gotta work i just gotta get a job and then but it seems like you're always like focused on no i'm gonna go to school when i turned 18 given the fact that i was the oldest one i needed to help my mother with my brother so i step in into the role of my father yeah and so i was going to school and i was going to work full-time. do it all, yeah. Yeah, and so when, within six months of working full-time, my mother lost her job, and so I became the the one that supported the whole family. Oh, wow. And I did it for like fi- about five years, you know? And it was, I mean, it was tough because, you know, being so young and understand that my mother needed my support, and then my brothers, you know, being, they were looking up to me. So, you know, it's, so, it's something that, you know, it's heavy when you're so young, you don't Absolutely. understand. 
But, you know, when I was growing up, I always move on the opportunities that presented in front of me, and I did what I needed to do without looking back. Awesome. And so, you know, you go to school, you go to university, you have your aerospace engineering degree. (laughs) At what point did that leverage into NASA? How did you figure that out? Actually, you know, I never thought that I was going to go and work for the sector because the only thing that I wanted to have is a degree. Uh, The reason why it was because when I had my youngest child, uh, I find out that my two middle ones were special needs children. Okay. And so doing my own research, it was clear to me that having a parent that had a degree, had a career, your children will have much better life than children that didn't have a parent that had a stable uh, job. So for me, it was like, that was the main goal for me to have a degree that I can work in a stable job. Okay. Right? Yeah. So, but it, it was just the opportunity that when I went to school, there was aerospace engineering, I could just go and, you know, get into mm-hmm. that. So for me, when I graduated from aerospace engineering with my bachelor's degree, I never thought that I was going to come to NASA and work here. I, I always thought that I was going to work in like Laurel, maybe Lucky Martin or some other sector. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it just happened that my professor at San Jose State told me that there were some internships in NASA and I should apply it. And so... Following his advice, I went and applied without thinking that I was ever going to come and work for NASA. Oh, wow. You know, so I was a single mother then. You know, I found myself again with, you know, four children, single mother. I did have a bachelor's degree, but I was old. I was not a young person yeah. either. So I really didn't think that I was going to get an internship. But the chief of technologists here at NASA Ames contact me and say, yes, you know, we offer you the internship. And so the internship was only going to be for three months. Okay. And I had to drop off one of my work because I actually worked two jobs and then I went to school. So in I had the internship? To, in the internship. Oh. So to accept the internship, I had to leave one job and then, um, and then be here. And I knew it was only for three months. But the opportunity was... It was too much. To, you yeah. can't pass it up. Yes. You know, the opportunity is there. So I took it, and, and then I stayed. You know, they extended my internship, and then it became a contractor, and, and then that was an opportunity to apply for a civil servant, and I became a civil servant. So it was just the opportunity just presented itself, and I took it without even thinking about it. And then when you started, you were working on some, like, safety yeah. aspects? or Yeah, safety missions. So it was, like, again, it was not something that I expected to do, <laughs> but it just happened. So uh, when I started working for the small satellite uh, projects, and spe- specifically the TechEdSat, mm-hmm. you go into the space station, and you're dealing with humans inside, right? So everything okay. you put inside the space station, you have to be careful of what you put in there and understand what are the consequences if something goes wrong. Okay. Right? So... I was the f- one of the group of the engineers who started that process and start, you know, learning and setting it up for the following satellites that are going to be deployed from the space station. So I ended up doing all the safety data package, which is like mm-hmm. a documentation about okay. your hardware that you put into the space where you analyze all the hazards that you present to the space station or to the astronauts okay and then how you're going to control them and how you're going to verify them so i was doing that i became so good that you know i ended up doing every single one from the first one to to now right <laughs> and you do it right once then they the, keep yes, coming back, back and yes and you just go like, i guess it, this yeah. is my job now <laughs> yes and i was an engineer i was part of the engineer group like two years ago, but there was an opening in safety mission assurance. And just for me to learn, I just said, you know, why not? 
let, yeah. you know, let me go in there. So when you're an engineer and you go to school, you're, nobody teaches you nothing about that. You know, you learn it on the well, job. The safety stuff. Yes. It's like, you, you, you know, you're you're busy trying to get things to work. <laughs> Not necessarily, right. you know. Yes. You yeah. worry about the safety, right? Because just designing and building and testing. But it's huge because if you send something up into the space station yeah. and things go wrong, then it didn't really work. That's right. <laughs> Even if it did the scientific <laughs> thing you wanted it to do, it's causing other problems. But it was exactly, like, right? Yeah. Then it's yeah. like the definition of working is a little bit loose. Yes. So, so because of that, I decided to just give it a try to safety and see, you know, what's Ooh, in there that, that I can learn. Because it's all about learning, right? You never, one of the things that I learned in this job is that it doesn't matter how old you are, how many degrees you have, you still continue and will uh, learn stuff, new things. And so I decided to go there and I've been in that position for about two years almost. Cool. And then now you've done a lot of work on you mentioned the small satellites. Yeah. I mean, normally you don't think of safety around small satellites because I know mm-hmm. the whole thing with small sats is like they're Thickness. typically cheaper. You can turn them around faster, off the shelf products, get them out. Well, how does safety play into that? Well, it is true what you're saying. They're supposed to be, you know, <laughs> you know, easy. You build them up and you just integrate them into the rocket and you know deploy them. Right? Yeah. That was that was the concept. That was the idea. But when we move from the rockets, you know, just to be integrated into the rocket, that mm-hmm. it will put you into an orbit, right? It is actually mission success, what you're looking for, right? That quality that you actually trying to implement to the satellite to make sure that it actually works. Okay. And you're not really interfacing with safety. Okay. But when you take that product, that the CubeSat, from the rocket to the space station and you put it inside, then safety becomes a big deal. Oh, yes, because yes. <laughs> now you're playing with a sensitive environment. <laughs> That's right. And astronauts that, you know. Yes, and so, you know, you have to control and then you have to make sure that everything you put inside the space station where the humans are, it is actually controlled and verified and make sure that nothing they also, And they have to handle these things to put them in to get launched. And yeah, that's right. And actually, it hasn't changed that much from what you integrate to a rocket to okay. what you integrate into the space station. But because there is a human that actually handles the deployer inside the space station, okay, something ha- had to happen where the door comes out and the satellite shoots out inside the space station, mm. it becomes you know a big issue. So even though that's not what you design or intend, you still need to count it as a risk and you have to control that risk. And so like as you're building, designing like some of these systems, what are some of the challenges that that puts in? Well, the space station is a big space, <laughs> you know, uh, vehicle that carries humans, and it has a very huge um, bureaucratic uh, requirements, right? <laughs> yeah, of course, checklists. Yes, and clearances. then you have to verify everything, right? And there's a lot of oversight because it's a big thing that we put up there, and it, it costs a lot of money. Small satellites, you know, they're you know hobbyist kind of work, you know, that somebody puts in together. You can break it and you can build another one right away, right? So having completely two different scopes of requirements, right? One, you just care about the functionality. The other one is like, make sure that you don't cost anything. Cause any problems. To the space station, right? So to marry those things, it, it, it was hard at the beginning because there was nothing in place when I became an engineer and I was, you know, the engineer for the first CubeSat to deploy from the space station, there was nothing in place. I had to set the standards oh, wow. 
for it. <laughs> you had for to make the standard operating procedures. This. You had to invent it. <laughs> yes, I had to come up with the rationale. Why do we want to do this and why do we not want to do that, right? Oh, wow. So it is a compromise between the mission assurance and the risk that you present to the space station. And it's funny thing about engineering is sometimes when you're put in certain parameters and restrictions, yeah. of you're like, here, try to accomplish what the small sat needs to do, but here's all these safety requirements you're yeah. adding on top of it. Sometimes when you have those restrictions and parameters, you can come up with different innovations, different <laughs> ideas. You probably would have <laughs> never thought about on your own, but once yes. you have these restrictions, you have to puzzle solve. That's so, right. So what are some like new innovations or engineering things that you've had to well, implement? At the beginning, you know, it was it was completely, you know, try this, try that, and, you know, try to see if you satisfy, you know, the safety engineers in the space station. So one, one example that I can think of is the alley switch, which is the axillary lateral and heaved switch. Okay. So it, it's named after me. <laughs> <laughs> it's named Ali. <laughs> yes. Because how, how fortuitous. I, it's just it just happened. So we were building this CubeSat, right? And the space station was like, you know, we need to make sure that when you are inside the space station, you don't get turned on and start emitting, you know, from the radios that you have. We had three yeah. radios. And they were really worried because even though it was one unit CubeSat, one unit is 10 by 10 by 10. Okay. So 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters. Uh, they were worried that the three radios that we have, if it happened, something might have happened inside the space station where the satellite turned on, we will be radiating an interference with the communications to ground. Oh, wow. And so you're talking about, you know, the life of the astronaut and having constant communication with ground is very important. Yeah. So they, we had two inhibits in the, the foot switches in the frame, and they were going to be against the plate of the deployer. So you shouldn't be turned on unless you get, you know, ejected from the deployer. Okay. Right? So, you know, they were like, you know, that is, that is not sufficient because the frequency that you have in your CubeSat is too high, and we need to have a third inhibit. Oh, wow. So where did you put a turn even in a <laughs> 10 by 10 by 10 centimeter CubeSat, right? Yeah. After you had already built it, because we already had built it, right? <laughs> so, you know, to satisfy that requirement, we ended up, you know, thinking about, we spent like two 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 days, you know, thinking between all the engineers and myself. Yeah. Where do we want to put the the third inhibit, right? Do we want to put it in another food? Do we want to put it in on top of the, you know, or the opposite side of the yeah. other inhibits? Where, right? And so, from my experience of building amateur rockets, <laughs> okay, because I, you know, I I usually do it on the summer and I go to um, Nevada and launch, you know, amateur rockets. Okay. Sometimes you have switches that they have a leverage, so they're compressed, and when they come out. Uh, when you have a payload inside the rocket and they come out, the leverage, you know, it gets lifted and and then the, the payload turns on. So the, so the act of it lifting flips the switch. switch yeah. Or, okay. And so I was like, well, we can use something like that, but we need a roller because what happened on the frame uh, of the deployer, you have to be very smooth. You don't want to scrape the deployer, right? So yeah. it has to be smooth. And and so I was like, well, we can have the same switch, but with a roller. To, so it's to smoother. Make it, so it, yes, to make not it friction. Close. That's yeah. right, and not to scrape. And so we ended up finding one, and then we put it on the side of the frame, 
in one of them. And then I was just like, well, we just, we can do it, right? So we implemented. And so my friends, the next day we came around, you know, to meet and talk about, you know, the phrase, you know, the thing inhibit. Um, they came out with that acronym, the axillary lateral inhibit, to name it after me. <laughs> nice. And that's what we've been using ever since, actually. Oh, that's awesome. So, so your namesake. Yeah, your namesake. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's one of the things that I found it really interesting that, you know, you wouldn't think about it, but, you know, it just happens that yeah. you needed to have it and just figure it out, find a way to make it work. So what kind of stuff are you working on? Are you looking forward to well, coming this, up? Coming up, we're having another satellite, which is TechSat 5, being deployed from the space station. Okay. And it's going to be the first satellite that is going to be controlled to the orbit. It's, it has an exobrake, which is a cross parachute, if you can yeah. think of. And it has a winch. And we're going to control it from the ground. Actually, the winch. We're going to control the winch to make sure that uh, we can pull in the two uh, two wires that are connected to the exobrake. Okay. So when we are in a certain orbit or altitude, we can change the shape of the exobrake. Okay. And guide the CubeSat to re-entry in the specific area that we want. And this is Not important. survive, but just re-entry. And, and that's important because normally these are small 10 by 10 by 10 things. This. And normally they burn up in the atmosphere. When that's they, right. When they're done doing their job in orbit, they fall down, they burn up. But you're trying to, like, you want it to survive the re-entry. So using this exobrake to... Well, yeah, it's, the exobrake is more like to guide the, the okay. CubeSat to enter a specific area. Like you're trying okay, to... Okay. Like if you're shooting at something, you know, and you're aiming it at a specific area, so the the exobrake will, you know, will give you that capability, right? Mm -hmm. Usually when CubeSats are in orbit, they just go around the Earth, you know, they do whatever they need to do, whatever experiment it is. And then as they come close to, you know, Earth's altitude, they will burn in, right? It could be anywhere. Okay. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to deploy something from the space station and then you know, as he's coming down and going around the Earth, actually give him a route where to enter. Where you want to tell it where to yes. control it. Yes, because that that whole aspect to try to maneuver the the CubeSat, the next step for us is to build something a little bit more bigger. Okay. And actually be able to survive the reentry okay. as we try to guide so it. First, figure out how to steer it, That's and right. then figure yeah. out how to make it survive. survive. Yeah, and reentry. Cool. So, on our show notes on the for the podcast, we'll put in a link to the small sats and the yeah. you know the web page, so anybody who's interested can go and look up mm -hmm. all the information, see some of the cool stuff you're working on. Um, we are on Twitter at NASA Ames. We're using the hashtag NASA Silicon Valley. So, if anybody has any questions for Ali <laughs> about joining NASA, exo breaks, small sats. You can go ahead and hit her up on those questions there. Thank you so much for coming over. No, thank you for inviting me. It's my pleasure. <laughs>